Welcome to the e-learning careers podcast, the place where we talk about careers in the e-learning industry, how to get started and progress. In this episode, I talk with Tom McDowell, Chief Learning Geek at Evolve Learning Design. Hi, Tom. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. Great to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, you know a real pleasure to be here. If you could just introduce yourself, I think that'd be really useful and just give a bit of background of what you're doing now, where you came from and how you got started, really. Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Tom McDowell. I'm, uh, I'm currently the Chief Learning Geek at Evolve Learning Design. Um, because if you're going to start your own business, you have to give yourself a silly job title. And uh, that's the one that I went with. Um, at the moment, I provide a, a combination of, on a personal level, uh, freelance, uh, in, I never quite know what to call it, instructional designer, um, e-learning developer, learning, uh, you know, learning experience designer. We have 101 different names for what we do. Mm-hmm. I create learning stuff, um, ideally good learning stuff. And then my business, Evolve, uh, offers everything from basic consultation around help. I need to go digital for the first time, uh, right the way through to uh, supporting larger projects. Uh, and I do that by bringing in um, kind of external freelancers on an as-needed basis, building uh, kind of short-term project teams. And uh, yeah, pri- prior to that, um, I was uh, an instructional designer and uh, even face-to-face sort of facilitation trainer um, for uh, for a utilities company, Thames Water. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, that's where I got my my big break in L and D, my first proper L and D role. Uh, and prior to that, I went through uh, people manager, um, salesperson. I worked in IT for a while, um, and way way back at the start, uh, it was uh, theatre, um, lighting and sound technician. Uh, in terms of my actual training, um, therefore indicating that I have zero real world qualifications in what I now do. It's quite similar. We've got quite a similar background in terms of trying lots of different things. Lots of things didn't work out or we just didn't find our career until quite later on. How did you make the jump into L&D from retail or people management and sales? How did you decide that's where you wanted to go and what did you do to get there? So um, I get the, the moment, the moment I found my simultaneously, it was my anger at what I perceived at the time to be L and D HR and my passion for making it better um, was when I was a manager and I had literally had multiple over the course of six months, members of staff cry in front of me because they were going to be ultimately, they were going to lose their job due to poor performance. Mm. Um, For anyone that's ever been in that position, whether you're the manager, whether you're the employee, whether you're just someone else that's there, that's a horrific moment. Yeah. Um, and for me, there was, it, it was, it felt awful that I was one of the, the management team in those situations. Um, I was, and I'd say this quite often now, I was far too young to be managing anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was always part of the, the kind of the model is to yeah. get people in who aren't going to push back in these situations. Yeah. Um, and I look back on it now and think, why on earth did I not turn around and, you know, do something more yeah. um, but at the age of cool what 19 20 who turns around to a senior manager and says no this will not continue yeah. um no you say i don't want to be next um but to me i was looking at that thinking this person's going to get pushed out due to underperformance that's the role of l d that's what they should be there to fix yeah um instead l d seemed to exist to make sure you didn't get anyone sued because mm-hmm. um, it was just here's your compliance training when you start you'll do it again next year thank you very much see you later um 
And that's where my kind of real passion for that started. Um, and then I got really lucky. The next company that I managed for ran a very lean operation and so said, all the assistant managers in the area need to have a secondary role. And they said, would anyone like to be the learning and development area support person? It's like, yes, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and that, I mean, the, the company was big, um, big yellow self-storage. Mm -hmm. The UK's largest provider of uh, self-storage. Yeah, um, that's, um, it's, uh, I still have a, a, lot, a lot of love for that business. Um, fantastic place to work. Brilliant people. Um, it always sounds weird when you say, I, you know, I love a business that you know, ultimately has big empty warehouses, and that's mm -hmm. what you sell space. But yeah. the people, it's a classic example of the people make the business. Yeah. Um, they really do. And for me, that, that job is what allowed me to go on and get my first proper L&D job um, at Thames Water. Um, because what I did there was I started experimenting and learning and making you know, really ineffective learning experiences, realizing they were ineffective, finding out why, changing it, making a fool of myself on multiple occasions, and eventually going, oh, that worked really well. Um, so then by the time I was applying for my first proper L&D job, I actually had a significant sort of stash of, here's what I've done already, despite not having the job title. Um, that's, that's interesting. So you've done already kind of built a portfolio in your last role as a secondary role whilst you were learning. Absolutely. And I think that I, to me, that's in my mind, that's why I got that job. Yeah. Um, I didn't have the job title. I didn't have the on paper experience. My CV was of management and sales and all that kind of thing. Um, so I think being able to say here are three case studies for when I implemented a a learning resource or a course or a, some kind of um, thing that I'd implemented and here's the performance impact it has. Mm -hmm. um, I think nothing says I can bring value to your business as much as saying, you know, I can make the boat go faster and here's three occasions when I did exactly that. Yeah. It's interesting as well, the point you made about your job where you, the underperformers and do you mm. think that was a result of bad L&D, bad training of one, one aspect and Going Absolutely. back, how do you think that could have been changed and what have you done differently if you were in that role in L&D in that company, do you think? Cool, I think, um, I, I think L&D bears some of the blame. Um, mm -hmm. Those kinds of company cultures exist in many, many places. I think they're still unfortunately common in sales environments. But, I, you know, we, we've all probably at least heard of stories, if not seen situations where we think, hmm, really? Is yeah. that? Yes, technically you are discharging your duty as a, a business to an employee, but are you really ethically, you know, sound in what you're doing here? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think those scenarios are particularly uncommon. I think if I went back to that now, I think purely from an L&D perspective, changing what performance management is. Yeah. We hear performance management and we hear someone's getting sacked. That's the undertone of performance management, whereas performance management should be about how do we take someone who's struggling and turn them into a high achiever? Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately, the, everyone that's recruited into those roles is recruited for a reason. Someone yeah. saw something in that person, and it's L&D's job to take that, you know, that something and turn it into value. And if we're failing to do that, yes, there are, of course, scenarios where the employee is not doing what they need to do. Mm -hmm. But before we jump to that, I always think um, a long time ago, there was a very popular training course in leadership circles called Arrows. And there was always arrow in before arrow out. Have I done everything I possibly can to make this better before I start blaming someone else? Yeah. 
Um, and I think we could, in a lot of businesses, L&D could do, afford to do that a lot more and start thinking, have we really done everything we can do or have we just done what's expected of us? Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard that arrow in, arrow out um, analogy before, but it makes total sense. And I just think so many companies that I've worked at, we just do these compliance e-learning courses. E-learning as well is partly to blame, I think. Um, we just do them off the shelf, tick box exercise. And I know people don't always like the word mentorship and gets a bit of a bad, bit of a bad rep, but I think that's also a part of it, like you said, like mentorship and actually coaching and bringing that into the role of managers. I think that's a huge part of um, helping people succeed and not just blaming the learning and when it doesn't go, it doesn't go well. I think coaching is a huge part of it. Oh, for sure. I think that that's the second half of that. When we talk about the learning and development department, whether that's e-learning, whether that's face-to-face, whether that's you know remote um, project work, whatever it is, the second half of that is how that's implemented in the real world. Mm. Um, because whether it's a piece of e-learning uh, or the training room or wherever, wherever the learning experience happens, it's always false. We can't, you know, we can try and emulate the real world as closely as possible. We can offer, you know, uh, we can offer those fantastic environments where it's safe to fail and all these other things. But, you know, the, the tires hit the road and the work has to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's where real learning happens. Yeah. And if there's not that support network there, which can't always be the L&D team, there are businesses out there with 500 employees and 10 people on the L&D team. Yeah. They can't be everywhere. That's where those managers need to come in. That's where floor supervisors need to come in. Sometimes that's where just another colleague needs to come in. Definitely. I think businesses are terrified of peer-to-peer learning because there's no control. The it's business crazy. Can't... Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, if I think about where I am in my current role, I've just been over there over a year now. If I look mm. back to when I first started, if I hadn't had that peer-to-peer coaching and learning from the colleagues who I got on really well with, and they guided me through the first six months when you join a big corporate, which is a massive culture shock along with every, everything else. Oh, yes. Like you say, it's that risk of what are they teaching each other and yeah. it's trust. I think it's like remote working in a way. Are you trusting your colleagues to doing what they what you think they should be doing, which I think is crazy. And if you don't trust them, why did you hire them? Exactly. That's always my question. (laughs) And with remote working now proven to be so effective, I think Mm. hopefully trust will be one of those things that gets put to death a little bit and people will just start accepting it. Um, Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) It it would be one of those few silver linings to this situation, I think. Um, But uh, you you look at the world of um, academic learning and Mm -hmm. higher education, Peer review is an absolute staple of that process. You cannot go through, I think, I think you probably can do a bachelor's degree without peer review, but it's getting rarer. Mm-hmm. Certainly once you get into the world of master's degrees, PhDs, writing genuine research papers, you are not going to get through those processes without peer review because yeah. it's an important learning process for you, for everyone else, and it improves the overall quality of your work. And it's always baffled me why this is very, very well understood on that side of the fence. And I always kind of imagine sort of in certainly instructional design, having this make believe fence down between academic instructional design and corporate instructional design. Mm -hmm. And why can't one mirror the other? You know, I think maybe the academic world has been slower to pick up on some of the exciting new digital advancements that corporates, you know, ultimately corporate has the, um, the money and the resources and the manpower to throw at these advances and drive Mm -hmm. things forwards. But, 
sometimes maybe loses touch with the basics of the learning process. Yeah. And what I see so much in the academic world and universities and colleges, so many teachers now, even in the classroom, they want to come into corporate L&D. Yeah. Um, it's, a bit of, it's, an, it's like an untapped market I never even knew about. Mm. Um, there are just so many teachers who are just so fed up, whether it's salary or the environment, or they're just not get, being able to do the type of learning and creating the type of learning they want to make. And they're just yeah. all shifting to corporate. And I, I simultaneously, I wish them well. I do, because they're amazing people. But I, I think it's such a, it's such a loss. Mm. I, I, I look at when I, I, I think back to my teachers. And you know, they're, they're, they're always teachers that you do and don't like, maybe, or that you do and don't get on with. But I look back and I, I've always kind of felt, wow, what an incredible bunch of people. Yeah. And that's only ever got more so when I realized that they're not paid well. And they're not treated well. And <laughs> you kind of think, wow, these, you know, just to become, I, I think that's like my drama teacher, for instance. My drama teacher had a massive effect on me when I was uh, at kind of secondary school age. Um, I absolutely loved it. I, I'm extremely introverted. So to, to be able to engage with a subject like drama in a performance sense was a massive um, challenge for me. Yeah. But they were there for that. And they made that happen because they understood that learning process and they took the time. Mm-hmm. and i think wow if we could capture that and put that into workplaces that would be fantastic yeah so and that it, comes back to the coaching point doesn't it the peer-to-peer coaching even as a absolutely. teacher level yeah. like i struggled at school i i just hated school like you i was, I was very quiet i just kept to myself and there were there were those teachers who kind of you just they tried to bring you out of your shell and type of thing and but you just think all the teachers moving into corporate not everyone obviously but a lot of people are moving into corporate and you just think what's academia losing what are the schools losing from that because i I think there are fantastic new people coming into teaching but they haven't got that experience Mm. you know they've they've maybe not had to or not been trained really to help that quiet child or they don't know to spot them yeah and know that they need help um you know I, i always think the teachers that didn't play that role for me I like to think they didn't ignore it. It's that they didn't know it was a problem. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like, I don't know, I, I feel like there, there's a simultaneous welcome to the corporate world. We're excited to work for, with you. And uh, wow, you know, for the, for the next generation sat in school now, they've lost so much mm. um, by those teachers moving over. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. think it's a bit of a mix of lack of knowledge from teachers as well. It's, I know I was in the, the awful phrase of special needs at school mm. um, and when you get into those those type of classes you're you're labeled certain ways and based on behavior which wasn't the case in mine it was just struggled with learning yeah and I just think if I had something different that was more coaching and mentoring from a teacher in a different way how how different could it have been um, no, yeah, it's, that's interesting. It's, yeah, it sounds very similar to my brother. My brother um, suffered or suffers with dyslexia. Pretty much everyone in my side of the family does. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of we fell into a couple of different age groups. So I was very much at the point where I was throughout early was branded lazy, mm-hmm. can't be bothered. He's not trying. So I, you know, forced myself basically yeah. <laughs> to to get past it. And then from that point, I I now love reading. I can't get enough of it. My brother fell into the group where there was that slightly increasing understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And so they just did nothing because they went, he'll get it in his own pace. Yeah. I mean, that's almost worse than what I had to yeah. deal with. But what he then had to deal with constantly was 
why aren't you like your brother? Yeah, comparing. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And like you say, he then got put into those groups of, you know, those people that were struggling but weren't getting individual support. They were just getting support for those who are struggling, mm-hmm. which is, again, no support. It's like trying to go for a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. It's, uh, it just doesn't work like that. So, um, Yeah, me and hope- my brothers went to the same school as well, and he yeah. was a few years older than me, but... I don't think teachers ever said it in my face, but you, looking back, you kind of think, were they comparing me to him? And yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah, I think it, I think there's if there's a teacher listening, if there's one thing I could ask you never to do, it's that. Yeah, it's uh, you know we, there's this whole thing on every learner is individual, and it sounds very simple. It plays a huge role. It's so important. Mm-hmm. It really is. Now I do wonder how schools whether remote learning will be part of schools going forward with COVID and everything and as they return to work I wonder for those who do struggle in the school setting like maybe we did how maybe remote learning has helped them it'd be really interesting to hear that as well going forward Mm. absolutely I think that'd be uh that'd be fascinating so what does a typical day look for like you now because you're running your own business um be interesting to see how you compare maybe your learning roles when you were full-time and how your day-to-day compares as a business owner, obviously lots of different things you're now responsible for, not just doing the work you're given. Yeah. Um, actually finding the work, and how do you compare it to, is there anything you miss in your corporate world or anything you'd never go back to? be interesting to hear that. Yeah, so I mean, there, there are things I'll never go back to. I will never again hear in a meeting, um, we know it's not the right thing to do, but, mm-hmm. um, because we just don't do that. Um, and we don't work with clients who want to do that or accept that. Um, I would say that's the biggest difference is I, I firmly believe that I have the right to hire and fire clients, Mm -hmm. not just the other way around. Um, I think that's, for me, that's the joy in what I do is that I can choose who I want to work with. Uh, whereas as you know, in, in working internally, um, comes with its own challenges of ultimately whether it's the right or the wrong thing to do. There are times when someone upon high is going to say, you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, with their immense learning knowledge uh, <laughs> and technical understanding of the situation. Um, but, and that's just the way it goes. Um, so that's probably the thing I, I, I wouldn't miss. I do miss the stability, the security. I do miss um, the team. I miss the people, mm. um, which is weird for me. I never thought I would be the person saying I miss people. Yeah. Um, okay. But I mean, nine times out, of t- nine days out of ten, I'm on my own. I'm in my office. My only contact with people is digital, especially in the current world. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, my wife now works from home as well, so I see her a bit. But it's not quite the same, you know. Yeah. You've not got that group of um, that group of equally geeky people in the room to go, ah, oh, this uh, this variable's playing around, or how would you deliver this bit of content if you could do anything? And you know, you don't have those big whiteboard moments. I always used to call them, where there's six of you all with dry white pens scrawling mm-hmm. all over yeah, the place come up with an idea. <laughs> um, so those are the things I think I really miss. Yeah. Um, in terms of day to day, I mean, it really does depend. I mean, quite often it will just, it's just me working on a project. Mm-hmm. So I still get to be very, very hands-on. Um, there are other projects where I now find myself being almost more like a project manager, um, where I'm doing a little bit of initial work with the client around scoping. Yep. I do find I can spend more time now focusing on the learning design mm-hmm. and passing off some more of the 
technical development work. Um, not that I don't enjoy it, but just that from a client perspective, it's easier for me to maintain that relationship, that conversation, and then yep. pass those bits off to, you know, to, to a freelancer or someone else. Um, but similarly, I still, I still love the, uh, you know, most days, um, I'm in, I'm involved with, uh, building something in, in storyline or editing some video or, or doing something. Uh, I could never see myself stepping fully away from that. If I'm yeah. honest. No, that's great. Um, I think it's, it's a mistake that a lot of people do make in these situations as they want to get other people in to do all the, you know, actual work if you want, <laughs> um, very quickly and then step away from it. And I feel like you can very easily lose touch. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of, a couple of storyline updates land or an Adobe, um, the year goes past and you switch over to the new versions of all the Adobe licenses. Yeah. And, um, all of a sudden you load a tool up and go, this isn't what I remember. Yeah. Um, and all those things that were muscle memory are gone. Or it updates mid-project, and your and your project's no longer compatible, and all of those little niggles. Oh, I and mean that yeah, that's that's just a, a bane. I think I learned I learned long ago. If you are currently building anything, ignore the update. It can yep. wait because um, it will kill your project. But yeah, lot, lots of change, and I think no, it's certainly not the easy route. I don't mm -hmm. think going out on your own. I think it's upheld as kind of, ah, oh, go freelance. It's fun all the time. There's loads of, and there is loads of work. Don't get me wrong. Mm. There's people crying out for stuff out there. Um, if you're willing to do, you know, anything. Yeah. Um, there are tons of day rate jobs and some of them want fantastic work. Some of them will settle for click next, text, 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 10 question quiz. You passed well done. Off yeah. you hop. They'll herald it as fantastic. Um, I think the question you have to ask yourself is what do you want to stand for? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went freelance because I believe things can be better as opposed to, I went freelance to make a load of money as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, neither one is right or wrong. You just have to decide which one you do. Yeah. It's just and a personal it, choice, isn't it? And I know absolutely. I went, I know I went through a bit of a wobble in my career about six months ago. I think, I think I was really questioning what I was doing in e-learning. I was seeing maybe what we were churning out over and over and you kind of go i think a lot of people in lnd go through this especially in e-learning maybe you become a bit embarrassed of what you're making yeah. um I, I did have a wobble thinking is this career right for me do i still enjoy what i'm doing and then when you go to some e-learning or learning you see something done really well i think that's when it, it gets your confidence back in what you're doing again I don't know sure. if you've gone through that. It'd be interesting to hear if you have. But for me, it took a oh, long yeah. time. I, I was very close to leaving the industry a while ago um, just because I got so embarrassed about what I was creating, really. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm not going to lie. Right, in fairness, right at the start of my, um, my, my kind of interest in it, I looked at the industry and thought, oh, mm -hmm. is, is this what I want to get involved in? Mm -hmm. um, and there's a reason I, I, kind of, I started referring to it when I was talking to people as e-learning face when you tell people you design e-learning yeah. um, or that they're going to do a piece of e-learning look at the face people make no mm -hmm. one says woohoo um, and that, that I think that that should reflect on all of us whether we produce good work bad work whatever um, because we have all produced terrible stuff mm -hmm. well you know whether we'd like to admit it or not if I were to open I reckon a solid 40% of everything I've ever produced has been terrible by my own standard. Yeah. Um, not at the time, but if I was to look back on it today, mm -hmm. I comfortably say 40%. I might even be being nice to myself when I say that, mm -hmm. but I think that's inherently part of the journey. 
the first thing everyone creates is going to be bad. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you're a prodigy. I don't know. Um, but for most of us, it's going to be bad. And yeah. then it's going to be a bit less bad. And it's actually going to take quite a while until you create something that you can genuinely, you know, critically assess and say, yes, that is good. Yeah. Um, but that's a journey worth going on. Yeah, um, I because when I first started my career, I was, I think I'd look at a lot of people, I was very eager to give my own thoughts and opinions and I'd only been in the job five minutes. And, and I, I think that's important. Yeah. You know, sometimes the people that have been there for not so long are the ones we should be listening to. Yeah. Um, because they've kind not of, got... I kind of took interest. a step back and I thought, um, hang on, have I got any right to say what's good and bad if I've only been here in five minutes? And I kind of stopped for a while. Um, and now after five years, I feel like I've got some... I've got some experience. I've seen different things. I've been been here a while. Now I feel like I've got enough experience to say what I think should change or give advice and that type of thing. But yeah, like you say, I don't think it, new people should be discouraged from it. But I do think you need that that journey underneath you a little bit, maybe. Oh, abs absolutely. And I think the what you can and can't maybe offer value on changes. Mm. Um, so on that day one, I very much had the perspective of I'm a learner. First and foremost, the best judges of whether or not something is a good learning tool is the person trying to learn from it. Because yeah. if they haven't learned, it's not good. doesn't matter how good the graphics are, how technically marvelous it is. If it's not effective, it's useless. Yeah. Um, and I think once you start measuring everything you create against that yardstick, you very quickly realize that you, no one's as good as they think they are. Mm -hmm. Um, even now the, the, the best challenge, the best measure of any, anything I create is to put it in front of someone that knows nothing about learning content, L and D me, my business is to put it in front of someone and say, this is going to help you learn this, do it and let me know if it does. Yeah. And if the answer isn't yes, it's not effective. Simple. Yeah. Um, that's an uncomfortable way to assess your own work because <laughs> what you're going to find is you get back a lot of, no, it's not where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but if you're willing to accept that challenge, if you're willing to be told that, you know, you're not there yet and then push to get there, yeah. you know, it, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. And that's where the growth happens, isn't it? As, like you say, oh, as, yeah. un as uncomfortable and difficult as it is on a personal level, um, once you go through that process, you realize just how far you can go from that. And you'll feel great afterwards. Not at the time, but afterwards, you'll feel great. Yeah, no, definitely. Talking of change and learning, where do you see the industry going, do you think, in the next five, ten years? And what do you think should change? And how um, do you see it going? Seeing and hoping maybe are different things here. Mm -hmm. um, so I naturally have a relatively pessimistic outlook. Um, but I see so much promise in the learning industry as it stands. I think increasingly we are seeing less of a divide between L&D and current technology. Mm -hmm. um, even in the last two to three years, that gap is closing rapidly. Uh, and as we see the advent of AI, not the AI that's currently advertised attached to every LMS and tool out there that is yeah. not really operable AI, it doesn't serve any value, um, but real AI is, is coming. It's it's closer than I think any of us think it is. Um, I don't profess to have any real understanding of this, but yeah. smarter people than me tell me it's nearly here. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, you have, there comes a point where you have to trust. And I think that will be a real game changer if it's harnessed from day one. Mm 
Mm -hmm. um, I think L&D has a real opportunity there. If it's willing to say, it's a bit scary, but let's see how we can utilize this. Um, I know that one of the... Sorry, where do, where do, you, where do you think um, AI could be implemented in L&D? I was watching something earlier today about um, a flight simulator. I won't say the company name, but... Um, oh, yes, yeah. You probably know what I mean. Oh, yes. Um, and, it was all, and they talked about how all the 3D terrain and everything was all done by machine learning. And yep. that blew me away. And I was just thinking... Where could AI, where could AI, like something like machine learning, even be applied in L and D and what we do at the moment? It'd be interesting to hear where you think it would be. What I'd love to see, if I'm honest, is that used in vocational training. Uh, I spent a lot of time a little while ago thinking about how do we help uh, engineers. Mm -hmm really grasp digital and there's this big push for vr at the moment the simple fact is vr is not good enough right now yeah the technology is not where it needs to be to make it a viable and effective learning tool it's cool i love it mm. um as a as a you know proper tech nerd well into vr as a learning tool it's not there yet yeah and I, for, to my mind ai is the missing piece to make it real so that it stops being a video game and it starts being a simulation. And that's the jump. That's interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have huge technical skill in either of them, but from a user perspective, um, that's what's missing to me. Is yeah. when you do, you, VR is incredibly expensive mm -hmm. um, because everything has to be designed. Yeah. Minute by minute, frame by frame. The moment you hand that over to AI, that has a framework to work within a load of pre-built assets and is creating a real world, all that work is gone. That yeah. cost is gone. You're just running that AI in a server somewhere, multiple instances, away you go. Suddenly yeah. it's infinitely scalable. And if you um, think of scenarios and like a health and safety role or something, even something like that, or any, yeah. any scenario based um, idea, I think that could be really powerful for AI slash machine learning as well. This is it, because then again, you've not got someone programming. Well, you can make these three options. You can finally say, do what you want. The AI is going to respond. Mm -hmm. They're going to tell you what would happen in that or create for you what would happen in that if you did that. Um, to me, that's, that's technologically, that's the most exciting thing. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see us harness that over the, over the coming decade. The flip side of that is that I'm slightly concerned that L&D has continued its drift away from core learning design principles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a reason it's all in many circles, it's seen as a woolly profession about feelings and opinions and things like this, mm -hmm. whereas actually it's heavily rooted in science. Um, we don't have a marvelous understanding of the, the, the brain. Anyone that claims that they do is lying. The science just doesn't exist. We're discovering new stuff all the time. Yeah. But, you know, there, there are core sciences behind learning that we need to root our practice in. And mm -hmm. if we don't, we run the risk of it being, in my opinion, um, which doesn't carry any weight, at least to me in most businesses, will not make those big investments in, you know, AI-driven virtual environment training mm -hmm. if it's based on, in my opinion. Um, so th that would be my, my concern for the industry is that let's not lose sight of what's actually important. The toys are amazing. Technology is fantastic. But learning is what we're here to do. Yeah. Um, and I think I think one thing I've noticed again as well along those lines is how we're kind of 
falling back into the interaction templates as well, mm. like tab buttons, tab menus, tab interfaces and template slides and whether there is a science behind that for learning um, is another discussion for another time. But yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's so easy to, to fall back into that mindset of how to design a slide as well. Um, and I think that's something I've seen, I've noticed we're kind of falling back into a bit as well. For sure. Yeah. No, don't don't do it, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try something different. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So where do you see your career heading? Obviously you've worked internally, you're now your own company. Where do you see yourself going in maybe five, ten years? I know we talked about what you're doing at the moment. Um, yeah. Um, where you see yourself. To, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm not sure, if I'm honest. Um, I think I've had so many ins and outs in my career. Um, that I, at the moment I'm kind of enjoying the moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've, I've yep. got to a place where for the for the first time, and I was thinking about this the other day actually, for the first time I'm comfortable, yep. not necessarily financially or in terms of stability, but if I could honestly say that if what I'm doing right now is what I was doing in three or four years time, I wouldn't begrudge that. And it's probably the first time in my career that I genuinely got that feeling. That's nice. Um, that's really nice and I think a lot of people yeah. don't get that for a long time and and there's nothing wrong with that as well there's nothing to defend yeah. about it and no I think the the biggest thing I want to do more of I guess is I want to branch out more into um, outreach and the community stuff and things like uh, YouTube channels podcasts things like that mm -hmm. um, to talk about learning learning design the process because um, I find more and more because I'm more and more comfortable I'm more and more, I find that I've defined myself and my approach and my beliefs in the area. Um, I have a much clearer vision of them now yeah. because they aren't muddied by my business once it done this way or so-and-so senior leadership team want it done this way. I've, you know, and, and I would say that's probably taken a good year to a year and a half to reach mm. to the point where I can honestly say now, this is my approach. This is yeah. my belief on this topic. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about you need a bit of time under your belt to give your ideas and develop your own ideas. Like when I was saying how I, when I first joined, I wanted to disrupt the industry and change everything. But I think it takes time just to learn what does work and what doesn't work and what you like as well. So no, I think that's a really good position you're in. Yeah, and I think that shifts over time as well. Cause certainly I wanted, I wanted to shake up the industry and I realized actually the industry isn't what needs shaking up. It's learners learning experiences mm -hmm. um because i'm never gonna shake up the industry the industry is you know rock solid yeah. um it'll take uh, a thousand us's to shake up the industry <laughs> um but what i can do is focus on this this client focus on this learning experience this audience and say right let's you know let's do something different yeah. um and i feel like in a way that can feel like downgrading the ambition but i view it very much as more targeting the ambition yeah. Uh, and focusing on what you can do rather than the kind of obscure idea. Yeah. No, like that. It's so easy to have the idea and go like so many of us do is we want to change everything. But actually, if we yeah. narrow it down to what we can change or what we can do really well by ourselves or in our teams, I think that's yeah. even more impactful. Absolutely. For sure. What advice have you got? Um, just finishing up soon. What advice have you got for new people starting? We talked about teachers maybe transferring from academia and schools or maybe someone coming into corporate for the first time 
um, or even starting your own business for the first time like you are at the moment. I know a lot of people who want to go freelance. Mm. Um, any advice that you've got for them? Uh, but, but the biggest single thing I do is be brave. Whatever you're going to do, do it. Throw yourself at it. And if you don't, and if you don't want to do that, consider whether or not you really want to do this. Mm -hmm. um, because whether you're going into L&D on an internal basis, whether you're working at freelance for the first time, whether you're coming across from being a teacher to whatever, this is not, uh, this is not a place or a space for people who are looking for a nine to five clock off done. It's a job. Um, you'll get a job, you'll earn money. Fine. You won't find that love for what you do there. Mm. But if you really want it, throw yourself at it, stand up, say what you believe and stand by it, but also be willing to learn. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the, some of the biggest learning moments in my career have followed me saying something that in hindsight was incredibly stupid um, <laughs> and needing yeah. to be either talked down from a decision or from being convinced and having, you know, some of the, some of the people I regard as mentors and um, people that I look up to in the space, I have had, you know, stand up, I'll say debates rather than arguments with um, mm -hmm. over points. And we've brought each other around to various different points of view by the end of it. And those only happen if you've got the conviction to say something and then stand by it, whether people yeah. agree with you or not. Um, so don't, don't just go in and say, well, I haven't got the experience these people do. I'll do what they do. If you think something different, say it, do mm -hmm. it, stand by it. No, I really like that. And like I say, don't be afraid. It can be intimidating when lots of people have got experience over you. And I know I first, I know I definitely felt that when I first joined and people with these 10, 15 years experience, but life experience is really important as well. And no matter what background you come from learning wise, I think everyone's got something to offer whatever level you're at. And I think that's really important. Definitely. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah, that's great. It's been great having you on here. And I know I was on your podcast a while ago, so it's nice bringing it around full circle. Absolutely. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. And where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Uh, best place to get hold of me is on uh, LinkedIn. Um, if you just go to uh, at Tom McDowell, I believe I am. Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, oh, Tom hyphen McDowell. There we go. Yeah. Uh, to check that one. Uh, but yeah, get in touch, connect, drop me a message. Always happy to have a chat about learning or, uh, you know, guitars, computers, whatever, really. Perfect. Thanks so much, Tom, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the eLearning Careers podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Tom McDowell. Please connect and follow him on social media and stay tuned for our next episode.